0: and welcome back to the edition podcast i'm charlotte henry this week uh, we're kind of looking both to the future and catching up with where we are in the world of ai i've tried to ignore it i've tried to not be one of those people that turned into an ai slash web 3 slash metaverse show but here we are we can't ignore it this is really me writing t- talking and doing the intro and i'm also joined by mark stanberg in real life hello mark
1: Hello, Charlotte. Yes, no no AI here. No, yet. you're definitely there. Real at deal.
0: It. Yeah, you're definitely there at the other end. Mark is, of course, Adweek's senior media reporter. I try to get him on the show whenever I have an excuse to. We love having him on. So let's look at where we are. I actually have sort of managed to resist covering AI for much of this year. I've done a couple of things. I spoke to Tom Merritt about it, and that was right early in the year when people were starting to get sort of forgot the Web3 thing for a little bit (laughs) and then decided AI was the topic of 2023, uh, not Web3 and the metaverse. We got all very excited about things like DALI for images, ChatGPT4 for one of the big large language models, LLMs. So where would you say we are now?
1: Yeah, I think we're in an interesting period where I think the chessboard has kind of been set. And I think now... Everybody is kind of contemplating their f- opening attacks to a degree. I think mm-hmm. publishers are having a lot of conversations with each other, which you don't get to see all that often. There's talk of consortiums of publishers, including you know dot Dash Meredith and The Wall Street Journal, uh trying to figure out how they're going to band together and potentially address the AI threat. And then you also have other, Elements from a commercial perspective or an advertising perspective or a search perspective. AI is, you know, one concept, but it kind of manifests in a bunch of different concerns. Uh, So I think the the general consensus is that people are formulating their strategies and their approaches at the moment, waiting for more information. There's a sort of general sense that another shoe is going to drop at some point in the next few months. We're not quite sure what the shoe looks like or when it's going to happen. Uh, but I think that everybody's kind of in this wait and see moment.
0: Yeah, people are always waiting for new products. Some of the bigger tech companies to still really push out their products. Um, seems like ChatGPT and Chat with ChatGPT4 but from OpenAI kind of is leading the market. But there are some big, big players, aren't there? Microsoft, obviously Google, company we're going to come on to later in the conversation. Those kind of companies haven't quite gone full Tilt at this yet, so people, I get the sense of kind of waiting, as you say, for their kind of opening attacks from those companies.
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting moment. I mean, to if you kind of zoom out a little bit and look at the larger ecosystem and in the atmosphere regarding tech companies, there is a lot of antitrust scrutiny, Mm -hmm. Uh, and then there is a lot of uh, other legal battles that Google, for instance, is facing. It's being sued twice by the Department of Justice for different instances here in the U.S. So. And that's all on top of if Google goes ahead with its AI model as it's sort of been presented. There are a lot of really apparent cannibalizing effects that that will have on its own business. So there's a number of sort of chilling factors, chilling in a yeah, good yeah. sense in this in this uh, you know aspect of google kind of has the potential to bring the hammer down and really disrupt the industry in a significant way but there are some inhibitions both from a legal perspective and from uh, a desire to cover its own uh business and, and make sure it's not shooting itself in the foot so that's also lending to the kind of state of prolonged uh uh sort of stagnant stagnant stagnation yep um as terms of like what's going to happen like Somebody's got to make that move and and uh, nobody's really incentivized to, to sort of drop or, you know, kick things off first.
0: Yeah, that's a really interesting point, actually, because it felt particularly earlier in the year, just a few months ago, really, that everything was happening very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of progress in a very short space of time. A lot of products released in a very short space of time. And it's kind of quietened down a bit now. We both know that's because not because people are not working in this area, quite the opposite, but it definitely seems to have called for a bit. So I wonder if it's slightly worth looking at how me, what the media is doing now. So there were some quite famous examples earlier in the year, Uh, Buzzfeed, CNET, both had a go at getting AI models to produce copy. How did those go, Mark? (laughs)
1: uh they are certainly not without their errors and i think that's the general takeaway are, is that like yes you can you <laughs> are a, diplomatic a polite and
0: diplomatic man
1: <laughs> are, um which I is asked like, you because know, you
0: are far politer than i was going to be <laughs>
1: uh, journalists make mistakes and editors edit them uh and if ai is going to make mistakes you're still going to have editors have to edit it uh i think that that has been a big realization um, and I think that as it currently stands, a lot of that generative AI technology is limited in the sense that it can produce articles like here are the best things to watch on Netflix or here are today's sales on Amazon, yes. or here's what time the Super Bowl starts, but beyond kind of information collation, you're not, you're not going to be able to do any reporting. You're obviously not going to be able to write any kind of memoiristic or personally inflected type story. Um, that's on the horizon theoretically, but I think the the specter of AI putting writers and reporters out of the job, out of their jobs in mass, has been uh, a little bit slowed, a little bit minimized by the realization that that technology isn't there at the moment. So that's not the most pressing concern as mm. it pertains to AI.
0: Yes, uh, what Mark was diplomatically trying to navigate around <laughs> was that BuzzFeed and CNET used AI produced copy, and it was basically there was lots of mistakes in there. and CNET, i think both of them actually had to kind of stop doing it for a period of time and sort of make a public point that they weren't doing it anymore
1: mm-hmm. uh, and, and it was a bit geo- of a mess yeah sorry geo has recently gotten in trouble for a similar thing i did some reporting and then mm. yeah, i think the issues just kind of exacerbated there of uh you also run into to issues of If these publications have unions, you're starting to see this become like with the Hollywood strikes where actors are saying you can't use our likeness to, you know, use our voice or create some AI replica of us. You're seeing this become a bit of a labor issue as well. So a number of uh, basically factors slowing down what, to your point, at the beginning of the year felt like a horse out of a gate has really uh, kind of slowed into a a bit of a stagnation again. Yeah
0: my positive take on all this has always been i just i think i said this when i discussed the issue with tom merritt my positive take has always been i think ai those these llms are going to become good enough that uh reporters are not going to have to do the boring stories that we've all churned out thousands of uh we're not going to have to you're not going to have to have some junior reporter or intern write up the closing the market's closing numbers an LLM is going to be able to do that very, very easily for you. Uh, like they kind of already can. Or, you know, if you just want something that's saying the sports scores, not giving any context really, models like that are going to be able to do those kind of boring things, maybe the weather, whatever. We can think of lots of examples. And that's great because I my hope is that it frees up journalists to go and do more in-depth reporting. That's my sort of happy best result from all of this but of course that there will be a risk to jobs I mean it's very I'm pleased you raised the Hollywood issue because of course the writer strike AI is a huge issue with what the writers are worried about that they're going to be replaced you know that people are going to almost create scripts with generative AI models I don't think that's going to happen but That's one of the fears, and they want something on paper, don't they, to try and move away from that. So you're right to point out that it's also a labor issue. But you're also right to point out that at the moment, editors and other reporters have to check everything that these models make because they do make mistakes. Go back to those BuzzFeed and CNET examples. They, Mm -hmm. they, They make errors. You have to check it just like you have to check anything you Google or read on Wikipedia or whatever else.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I was having one conversation with a publisher about if AI can replace these entry level type positions, are you going to start laying those employees off? And this guy sort of diplomatically sidestepped that with what I think is probably a legitimate answer, which is saying at the moment, we're not laying anyone off, but it is impacting already how we're hiring going forward. We're looking more at senior positions. We're looking more at managers overseers editors etc because yeah if we can in the near future replace some of these roles with ai tech uh then we don't need as many writers but we might need a few more editors so you're starting to see i feel yeah. like what most technology does especially in the digital age is kind of every 2 years the sort of bottom 10% of the industry gets lopped off um and it's sort of spun to us as you know, and, and and not um not falsely so, uh, that this is gonna be an efficiency savings for the company. They're gonna be able to make more money, reporters are gonna have more time to do higher level tasks. Absolutely, those things are true. At the same time, the 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 entryway to these these careers narrows and narrows and narrows yes. and narrows because some of those jobs are how you get into the industry and you do churn out chum for two years as you kind of learn the beat and uh now it's uh it's going to it just narrows the pool of of positions that allow people to get into the field in the first place
0: yeah and we should point out that learning how to write a quote-unquote boring story in that inverse pyramid way you know the way journalists are taught to write stories most important thing at the top bring you know going through to the more less key information as you go along the adding the color as you go along that's a very important skill for new and younger journalists to learn and you can't you don't only want computers to be able to do that like you people do need to learn that skill if you're going to have new people coming into journalism
1: yeah it's it's a quintessential example of you know <laughs> who benefits You know, if you write about the benefits of AI, you're generally talking about labor efficiencies, cost savings, Mm. content production, the company, the management, the bottom line, all good for that. If you're looking at this from the perspective of labor, from employees, from entry level jobs, it's not a positive. And this is typically how it goes with these kinds of technologies. But it's challenging because it's, it's good and bad at the same time, depending on who you're asking.
0: Uh, And as you're talking to publishers in your day to day reporting, are you hearing more and more of them wanting to test out using LLMs to produce content or having seen some of these examples that haven't quite worked? Are they just slowing down a bit on that?
1: Yeah, and this definitely depends on what kind of publishers we're talking about, right? Generative copy is a very low hanging fruit. And it can only really replace a certain subset of jobs, as we've talked about. So the New York Times doesn't really, theoretically, hopefully, you're not even writing anything that can be replaced by AI. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you are one of these publishers that is kind of producing this commodity content in hopes of generating some amount of traffic from what the best movies to stream on Netflix this month are, uh, yeah, they are beginning to experiment with that because it's increasingly feeling like table stakes. If our competitor is doing it, and they're saving that cost. We've got to do that to save that cost. And I spoke with somebody who said, essentially, the the sort of like, irony of this all is, if you can only use AI to create undifferentiated content, it's this kind of red queen scenario of, you are now going to have to do it in order to be competitive. And yet, it's not even going to provide you an advantage because all your competitors are going to be doing it at the same time. That's, that's the sort of, you know, nefarious way that this works is like, it doesn't even benefit you, but you have to do it to even stay competitive. And that's the sort of fear factor motivating some of these companies to begin those experimentation or those experiments. I mean,
0: what I should say some of that, what you've described as commodity content is is hugely useful to readers. People like that mm -hmm. stuff. Uh, I've happily have written and Right, so you know how to watch X, Y, Z. The best shows on such and such a platform you might not have seen. That's useful content to people. They might find a new show. They find out where to watch their football team, whatever. Um, but yeah, I can. Uh, you know, I'm not going to talk myself out of work by saying definitely get an AI model to do it. But you know, it's it's content people find useful. But yeah, it doesn't particularly involve in depth reporting. It's a different kind of skill that you need to get that kind of information. But it, it's going to be interesting for the rest of the year because, as you say, some people are still looking at this because they think they need to do it to keep competitive and to keep in the game. Some pub For some publishers, it doesn't really work yet because, you know, the in-depth stories, you know, there's lots of content I can think of that could never be produced, you know, product reviews could never be done by AI, or certainly not for a long, long time, I'd like to think, because you need a human being to test the product. Um, Obviously, there's all sorts of in-depth investigative reporting and so on uh, that can't yet be done by a computer. I mean, one day, of course, we have to accept the robots will come for us and that's okay, but (laughs) while that's happening, hopefully you and I will have retired by then. But um, it's. I also think sometimes the media has been a bit of a rod for its own back. I actually discussed some of this with, um, related to this with Chris Stoker Walker. So the kind of stories where you write, not necessarily the kind of how to watch this, what times is the Super Bowl start kind of content, but the kind of content, and I'm sure people can find stories that you and I have both written like this, where it's just like Donald Trump tweeted this and you please write 250 words instantly on that uh elon musk tweeted this Write 250 words on that in a way we've made a rod for our own back haven't we in the media industry by churning not going in depth on original reporting
1: mm-hmm. yeah i think that there are in in so many ways there's just this my my pet hypothesis that i think i've shared with you is that we are slowly moving back in many ways toward what the news media looked like in an analog, pre-digital world, and not because of the same factors, but because of um, back then you could only print whatever was best to be print because you had this limited, limited resource stuff. of the the, the amount of paper yeah. and et cetera. Nowadays, it's becoming well you can't really publish commodity information because it's not of any benefit to you because Google is just going to answer those questions. So the stuff that you do have to invest your time in has to be only the kind of thing that you can bring to the table. And it recreates this idea of, scarcity and and a a precious allocation of resources. Mm. So this is just one of many instances in which I think that we're ironically kind of going back to a lot of the principles that used to animate news thinking in the pre-digital era, except for now. The motivation for this uh, is largely technological. Um, But yeah, I, I absolutely think you're right. Okay, we're losing this kind of content about what's the best movie on Netflix this month. It's not like this is some hallmark of the news media history. This was a this was a genre invented to satisfy the Google algorithm. And if it is now lost because Google is making some massive update, then RIP, but, you know, yeah, that's how it goes. I actually, well,
0: I actually think, oh, I want to talk about these Google changes because you've done some great reporting on it. But I actually think there's a difference between the what movies do you want to watch what time does that kind of content even that kind of thing to elon musk tweeted this and 70 publications Mm. write the same story i think there is Mm. quite a big difference in that kind of content actually Mm. And i think you can argue there is value in this is the best on Netflix, the
1: sort of service journalism versus the reactionary clickbait
0: yeah i think there is a difference between that actually Yeah. Um, But let's talk about these Google changes because I say you've done some great reporting on it. A story about how publishers are preparing for Google's Google's AI enhanced search. Uh, It's known as the Search Generative Experience, SCG. And basically, the sort of TLDR of it is you're going to put in a search term that normally would bring up a news article, and actually, you're not going to be directed to that news article because Google is going to take the information from the news article or multiple news articles and have one of those cards at the top of the Google search. And you won't ever have to click on a publisher's work. Uh, that's basically it, isn't it?
1: That is, that is essentially it. Yeah. It is really in many ways an extension of to what your point uh, Google has been doing, giving you the scores of games, giving yes. you the time, you know, they, they've already really since 2014, The source was telling me, begun sort of reducing the volume of traffic that they send to publishers, but this, I think, will mark a really uh, significant advancement of that of that trajectory in this sense. I mean, I had a few sources telling me this could affect as as little as twenty to thirty percent of Google search traffic up to as much as, depending on who you are, eighty to ninety percent of your Google search traffic is now going to disappear when this gets rolled out, it's currently in beta. And so one of the big questions is, and you can, download it and experiment with it right now. But, um, one of the big questions is when does this get rolled out universally? Mm. Um, and the, the thinking is when it does, and I've heard people say it could be as soon as October or November, um, when it does, how does that affect the amount of, of search traffic that publishers are able to generate and how does that translate to the ad revenue that they were relying on and how does this lead to a, a paradigm shift in that business model where once again, again, going back to my pet hypothesis, um, Publishers are going to be in a situation in which the only traffic that they can consistently rely on is their direct traffic through newsletters, through podcasts, etc., which mirrors the distribution patterns that existed in the analog era where there was no search and there there was no social.
0: We're going back to the future. I, I thought about this, actually, there was a really good semaphore media piece on it where they laid out kind of the resurgence of blogging again, obviously newsletters and that direct thing. Uh, You'll you'll know slightly more of this based in the US, but even Drudge is having a bit of a resonance as we head towards an election. People are refreshing the Drudge page to see uh, uh, the headlines he's putting on the latest Trump debacle. Uh, If people don't know the Drudge report, it's a kind of, how would you describe it? It's a kind of compilation, curative site. Uh, obviously Mm -hmm. had a right-wing bent. There was points in the early 2000s where it was the biggest site on the internet, basically, bringing in all sorts of politics stories. Anyway, it's quite fun to see what he's doing with some of the Trump stories at the moment um, Mm -hmm. because he puts his own spin on the headlines. Anyway, there is a bit of a back-to-the-future element, and I agree with you on that. And in some ways, I'm quite encouraged by it. But there are going to be lots of publications who, quite legitimately based a lot of the content they created on seo on making sure people could find them on google and again an algorithm change essentially it's not quite an algorithm change it's a product change but it's the same effect as like facebook changing the algorithm or twitter changing the algorithm is going to wipe out their traffic because they're not in control of it Mm -hmm. there must be publishers you're speaking to who are seriously seriously worried about this
1: yeah it has been described as a an apocalyptic event yes um and to your point you see a similar um a parallel kind of reality playing out in Canada where okay. meta and Facebook have banned uh news information yes. from appearing in their feeds as a response to legislation that was going to ask them or force them to pay uh when users clicked on those links um so you have news disappearing from one of its main channels of distribution at a time in which there's these massive wildfires going on and all sorts of just regular news information. And the thinking is, is that theoretically, although it will be painful, this will mean that if people want that news information that they've come to just sort of consume ambiently in their news feeds, they're now going to have to go to the URL of this news site or, as again, I would imagine. Sign up for a newsletter and get a daily newsletter in the same way that they might have once gotten a newspaper delivered Mm -hmm. in the morning kind of thing. So I think what you're going to see across the board and a future story that I want to work on is how does that actually affect the economies as it pertains to advertising? If everybody loses, let's say 50% of their search traffic, it makes people harder to find and it reintroduces to a degree that scarcity. Um, so I was asking people, does that actually increase the price of an ad? Uh, you know, the, yes. the amount of money that a, if if users become harder to find, their attention becomes more valuable, you know, um, supply and demand. But I'm not nobody's I've not gotten definitive answers on that. Nobody really wants to explore no. that hypothesis. Uh, I it's suspect a scary. the one
0: company that will do very well out of it is Alphabet, is Google.
1: Yeah. I mean, but then here's the kicker, right? Is like. The, the whole irony behind SGE is that it populates these results and answers people's questions using data that it's scraping from publishers. But if it's then putting those publishers out of business by not sending people to their websites, the information that Google relies on to produce its results is going to dwindle, get less accurate, and eventually disappear. So that's another going back to like, inhibiting factor that the more successful sge is the more it throttles
0: Can be a bit its own supply business, of data
1: yeah. so and it's really hard to think, see how they do this sustainably
0: yeah google does put some money into journalism i think it was you that described to me as a sort of a way of placating and keeping the media industry and publishers happy by just in a <laughs> way that facebook kind of meta didn't care it was like okay we don't care if you you publishers are more trouble than you're worth go away. Whereas Google kind of realized it had to play nice. Um, Have you heard that as this develops, there's gonna be some kind of compensatory thing where Google's like, well, we're using your data on our homepage, we're going to pay something, put something back into the news ecosystem.
1: I've not looked into it, so I've not really heard anything about it, but I would not be surprised if some process like that comes out the problem with something like that is we've seen in i think australia mm. uh is that what ends up happening is that australia the biggest was the mouths, example i
0: was thinking of
1: yeah the biggest mouths get fed um i think murdoch there kind of said hey yep. if you want to play ball you have to pay us some pittance and what we've seen that play out with with some google and, and meta initiatives in the past where you know the washington post the new york times and the wall street journal get some licensing fee, uh, whether it's for being on Apple News or Google News or whatever yeah. the case is, but the vast majority of independent and local publishers get cut out of that. So it just further kind of consolidates power uh, uh, and resources within the, the hands of a select few publications. So it's really not an egalitarian response, um, and uh, therefore, I don't think a very satisfactory one.
0: Google, I am happy to take your money. Um, you can just drop me a link in bio to the email address. Um, I, It's a very interesting example of AI, this SCG stuff, because people think it's just producing an article on a website. But this demonstrates how it really goes beyond that. And again, I have to ask you the accuracy question. Is the tools Google are using to create these essentially cards at the top of your search, are they going to be intelligent enough to uh, produce something satisfactory so that if you look quickly in 30 seconds for the information you want, and it could be on a very complex topic, are you going to get a satisfactory answer? I'm thinking, for example, I don't want to give either of us PTSD, but I'm thinking of like if you started searching for stuff about COVID or COVID vaccines, that requires some kind of in-depth reading are you going to get that with a ai tool generated card at the top of google.com
1: yeah i mean and that is such a pivotal question one of the first stories that i in fact the first story that i wrote about ai is how's is it going to affect the affiliate business for publishers mm. which is to say product reviews and recommendations and things like that um and i spoke with several experts and one of them basically said look are you going to take a product recommendation that's presented to you in 50 words or less at the top of a google search maybe if it's socks but not if it's anything more than like 45 dollars. i'm gonna want to do my own research i'm gonna so that means going to a publisher, reading the review, probably reading multiple reviews. So there's certain certain queries that the average person is not going to find a 30 word response, you know, satisfactory satisfactory for. Um, And honestly, I mean, even beyond that, like I've been playing with SGE and just using it myself, it is very helpful in some of the in some queries in the same way that Google telling you what the score of a football game is. Yeah. That's pretty helpful. I probably don't need to click on a link for that, but in terms of like getting substantive information about the fires in Maui or getting information about the hurricane in LA or the upcoming GOP debate. Yeah, all of that. I'm going to want to read more about in an article with multiple perspectives. So that's a huge factor as to how impactful SGE will be is like, we can't really predict what the consumer behavior here is going to look like is, are these really concise summaries? uh going to really be enough to prevent users from wanting to find more. I yeah. don't I don't know, but you you know what is it? You can never go broke uh underestimating the intelligence of the average person or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah.
0: I mean, and of course Google would make that case to both consumers and publishers, wouldn't it? They would say, we're not stopping you, go- we're absolutely not stopping you going to an in-depth article. They're all going to be underneath in the normal way. We're just giving you also giving you a quick summary is a added extra that's presumably mm-hmm. their argument
1: mm-hmm. yes, and I think another interesting element here that hasn't really been sufficiently explored is going to get in your time machine and go back to you know the content moderation debates of twenty sixteen through twenty twenty when the big debate was. Is it a publisher? Is it a platform? If Facebook is making a decision to show you one piece of content rather than another, is that an editorial decision? It was a massive kerfuffle. We never really got a straight answer. The, The debate just moved on. I think we have to return to that debate to some degree. If Google is presenting you information that it's curating for you, does that put it in the position of being a publisher? And then what sort of uh first amendment protections does it have to deal with if it gives you a wrong answer and somebody goes out and loses money or gets hurt or makes some bad decision based on the information it presents to you can they be held responsible it kind of changes google used to be like hey here are your options yep. you know buyer beware um now it's saying this is the answer and as a result i think that opens it up to a different set of liabilities and expectations so that's an interesting thing that hasn't really yeah been and obviously
0: there are copyright issues uh, mm-hmm. if they're taking content from a, you know they're not having people in in, in Goog, you know in google headquarters writing those, these cards they're t- using ai models to take the content from people who have sat and written it
1: yeah and that's almost like i mean it's funny, we're getting to that at this point in the conversation. What? But for many people, that's the first thing to talk about. And the most thing, most important thing to talk about. And the last thing to talk about is they are, is it, I mean, the currently, I think the legal debate is surrounding this concept of, is this uncovered under, under the fair use doctrine? Um, and, you know, if I read an article and I summarize it into another article, have I plagiarized? No. If Google does that, is that plagiarizing? Is that copywriting? Oh, we don't really know yet. Um, in America, First Amendment protections typically would tend to protect somebody like Google in an instance like this. But we really don't know how that intersects with artificial intelligence. But yeah, the copyright element, the plagiarizing element, that's a—that's kind of question well, number one to, to, to solve.
0: I mean, I'll be fascinated to see as this rolls out, because surely some publisher is going to try and have a copyright battle with Google, you're going to have to have very deep pockets as a publisher to do it. Mm -hmm. But someone, someone's at a big publisher is going to see something on SGE that they do not like and are going to try and have a fight about it, aren't they?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you just independently, if I put a lot of work into reporting something out and then somebody searched for it and Google pulled my reporting to answer their question without sending them to the article that I wrote, I would want to sue you know what yes. I mean? like what's the why did I do this you know we'll be speaking um, to Avery's
0: lawyer after the show yeah
1: I do think that uh IAC and, and Barry Diller have have made overtures in that direction um explain and, explain uh, who
0: those guys are just for the listeners who might not know
1: yeah IAC is the massive holding company that is the owner of dot dash Meredith and Barry Diller is its CEO CMO, and yeah. I, I believe founder um
0: it's one of the big one of the major publishers of a variety one of one of the few outlets. publishers
1: who might have the the deep enough pockets and the the legal conviction to really push this forward. And uh yeah, I was at the semaphore event back in I think April when it was when he said that we plan to take legal action if they pursue in this path uh as it looks today. Uh so we'll see how that all shakes out. But there are a number of kind of parallel legal suits occurring at the same time i think you have getty images doing for how this is going to affect image generative results um you have even like sarah silverman the comedian yes doing for likeness and and uh copyright so these things are all moving toward the supreme court well not they're all moving through the court system um at the same time so again, this is just, uh, and that's one of just in the
0: US, but no yeah. doubt there will be EU battles. I don't know how it will play out in the UK legal system. I, I'm sure there will be battles within the EU on this. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot to go. I mean, you just mentioned Getty. We've been chatting for half an hour and haven't even discussed the kind of Dali uh, image related issues that come with AI. We'll have to do that another time because that's also huge. And it's huge, particularly in a disinformation context, which, you know, because people, we do believe what we see with our eyes and they're only going to get clever and look more realistic, aren't they? Those kind of uh, generative image tools. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's going to be another huge issue. Again, they have great use. You can use them to illustrate in a really lovely way, your newsletters, your articles, lots of publications do it to great effect. But there's an obvious gap there, isn't there, where you can see people using it to create things that just didn't happen. And that is Mm -hmm. a huge, huge issue that is going to have to be worked out too. Well, Mark, it's been such a pleasure having you to even get started on all of this. No (laughs) doubt you'll keep reporting about it all on Adweek, which is where people can find you. Where else else can people keep up with you?
1: Yeah, the website formerly known as Twitter. uh, I'm just a Mark Stenberg3 there. And increasingly the last website to allow sharing on LinkedIn you can find me on LinkedIn.
0: Yes, you can find Mark. We'll make sure there's links to, to all Mark's work. I'm at Charlotte A. Henry or at Charlotte A. Henry. Across all of social media, you can find me on TikTok, on Twitter, on Facebook pages, whatever. Come hang out, come say hi. Uh, obviously, I'd also love you to subscribe to the newsletter, The Edition, award-winning if you don't mind me saying. newsletter.theedition.net for that. Uh, and obviously, we'll blog every day over at theedition.net. So come join me, come hang out. Mark, thank you so much for joining me once again, and I'll see you all next week.